David composes psalms to God when he defeats his enemies and when he is fleeing from them, when he is studying the Torah and when he has sinned, when he is coronated to acclamation, and when his own son has expelled him from Jerusalem. There is no part of David's life, no part of his failures or achievements, in which the presence of the divine does not have a central role. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 198, The Psalms and the Soul of David. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. On the librarian's blog of the National Library of Israel, there is a wonderful article about a small volume that Natan Sharansky always carries with him, a psalm book that was a gift from his wife and which sustained him in prison. As Sharansky describes in his memoir, quote, the psalm book was the sole material evidence of my mystical tie with Avital. What impelled her to send it to me on the eve of my arrest? And how did it happen that I received it on the day of my father's death? The reading of the Psalms not only reinforced our bond, but also demystified their author. King David now appeared before me, not as a fabled hero or as a mystical superman, but as a live, indomitable soul, tormented by doubts, rising against evil, and suffering from the thought of his own sins, end quote. Sharansky continues to carry this psalm book with him everywhere, and therefore, one might further suggest, he carries King David with him everywhere. We can imagine how over the years, this volume became worn down. It is fitting, therefore, that a library stepped in to preserve it. Thus, the librarian's blog tells us, quote, In 2014, Natan Sharansky visited the National Library of Israel. One of his meetings was with the director of the Conservation and Restoration Department, Timna Elper. I was so excited to meet Sharansky, she said. I told him of the impact that the story of his psalm book, as he described it in his autobiography, had on my life. Sharansky then pulled the tiny book out of his pocket and showed it to her. It wasn't in great shape as could be expected after years in a Soviet prison. Upon seeing the state of Sharansky's book, the library administrators who accompanied the visit offered to restore it. The book was given thorough treatment in the library's facilities. The heavily damaged cover was restored, torn pages were mended, and the many eroded page corners were treated using the Conservation and Restoration Department's unique techniques. Finally, on the 8th of May 2014, the psalm book was returned to its excited owner. End quote. To preserve the psalms, to ensure that they are all bound together, and that therefore the legacy of David continues. This provides us with a metaphor for why the Psalms are so sublime, and why it is only when we see the bond between the Psalms that we truly understand who David was and how his Psalms allow us to see his very soul. In order to understand the uniqueness of David, we need only take together in tandem Psalm 2 and Psalm 3. Both are linked to David, but the tenor of each and the events that each commemorate could not be more different from one another. Psalm 2, according to the commentators, was composed in honor and celebration of David's coronation, according to tradition, by David himself. This would have marked one of the most triumphant moments of David's life. After escaping the many attempts against his life by Saul and others, he finally was becoming king of Israel. But the psalm does not celebrate David's might or his feats and escapades. Rather, it seeks to distinguish between Israelite and pagan kingship and to express how truly faithful monarchs like David recognize who the king of kings truly is. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. 
Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Thus a king, at his most triumphant moment, celebrates in reverence the true source of royalty and remembers the Almighty God from whom all his power derives. That is Psalm 2. Psalm 3, the very next psalm, describes a moment that is the polar opposite in David's life, when his son rebelled against him, and David, the once mighty monarch, was forced to flee for his life. All this, as David himself understood, was a divinely ordained punishment for his sin with Bathsheba. Thus, in Psalm 3, immediately after the psalm of coronation, we suddenly read, Mizmor le David, a psalm of David, Bivorcho mipnei av shalom bino, composed as he fled from Absalom his son. The psalm continues, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept, I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. It is incredible. The king has lost everything, and yet the presence of God in his life remains as profound as it was before. The sustaining salvations of the Almighty in his life are still clearly recalled. The king who has lost his throne knows that only through the king of kings will his throne be acquired once again. David continues, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. This is a fascinating phrase. Rejoice with trembling. The dialectic here captures the true essence of David's awareness of the divine. The Hebrew phrase yirat shamayim is often translated as fear of heaven, but rightly understood by fear of heaven, we truly mean awe, an awareness of God's nearness with all the joy and trembling that such a sensation brings about. Sharansky himself in his memoir put it this way, quote, When I first came across the concept of yirat shamayim, the fear of God, I automatically understood it as referring to the fear of God's punishment for our sins. But as I read the Psalms, it became harder to maintain this narrow utilitarian understanding of these words. Why had I refused to enter into any discussions with the KGB after my trial? Why was I prepared to die unless they sent my letters? Why did I refuse to ask for release for reasons of health? Why was it so important for me not to take one step toward that servile life I had once led? In time, I began to understand that Yurat Shamayim includes both an admiration of the grand divine design and worship of the divine might, as well as man's instinctive fear of being unworthy of his lofty role. End quote. Thus, ladies and gentlemen, only when we connect Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 together do we start to get a sense of the full range of moments in his life in which David felt the presence of the divine. Thomas Cahill, author of the book The Gifts of the Jews, once reflected on how there is no other piece of writing in ancient times that comes close to showing us the inner soul and psyche of the human being. He writes, quote, The book of Samuel, in which all these stories are so well told, is a chronicle in early Israelite history. But David's inner story, the story of his emotions, is told in another book, the book of Psalms. And some of these psalms, which were poems sung to musical accompaniment, were actually written and performed by David himself, end quote. And then Cale adds as follows, quote, Prior to the humanist autobiographies of the Renaissance, 
we can count only a few isolated instances of this use of I to mean the interior self. But David's psalms are full of eyes, the eye of repentance, the eye of anger and vengeance, the eye of self-pity and self-doubt, the eye of despair, the eye of delight, and the eye of ecstasy. The psalms, Kale continues, are a treasure trove of personal emotions and a unique early roadmap to the inner spirit, previously mute of ancient humanity. Whereas the historian must normally guess at the emotions of his subjects from incomplete or indirect evidence, David's psalms reassure us that 3,000 years ago people laughed and cried just as we do, bled and cursed, danced and leapt, that our whole repertoire of emotions was theirs. End quote. So Cahill writes, All this is correct, but to this we must add an important point, which is that every one of David's psalms, poems and prayers that run the gamut of the human spirit, is addressed and dedicated to God. David composes psalms to God when he defeats his enemies and when he is fleeing from them, when he is studying the Torah and when he has sinned, when he is coronated to acclamation, and when his own son has expelled him from Jerusalem. He feels God's presence, in other words, when his kingship is teetering as well as when it is secure. There is no part of David's life, no part of his failures or achievements, in which the presence of the divine does not have a central role. David, in his sufferings and in his celebrations, teaches us through the Psalms how to find God, how to feel his presence in every aspect of our own lives. We are now, I think, better able to understand another aspect of David's biography. While it was Solomon that would build the physical temple, it was nevertheless David, according to the Bible, who dreamed of it and who designed it. And if the dream and design of the temple had to come from David, It was perhaps because David taught us to see our own interiority, our very selves, as a tiny temple, that God can be present in our personal lives, that he can be close to us, that he could be reflected in the struggles and sacrifices of everyday life. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik once reflected that the temple envisioned by David in which God will dwell is a physical embodiment of the original dwelling place of the divine, the human life in which the divine closeness can be truly sensed. Rabbi Soloveitchik put it this way, and I offer my own attempt at translating his original Yiddish. Rabbi Soloveitchik said, The dwelling place of the Holy One, blessed be he, is yena misterizen freitag, was created on that mysterious Friday, on the sixth day of creation, when der Mensch is der Schienen in der Welt, when man was first brought into being in this world. The point is that human life is the first temple. For God is to be found first and foremost in the struggles of our own souls. David's dream of a temple in which God was to be found was meant to inspire us to learn from the temple, to find the light of God in our own little world. This, I think, is why it was David who would design the temple, a temple that in its physical exterior was meant to inspire us to also find God within our lives. The National Library blog further notes how, upon being freed from prison, Sharansky was originally denied his psalm book. Sharansky writes that he immediately protested. Quote, I quickly dropped to the snow. I won't move until you give me back my psalm book. When nothing happened, I lay down in the snow and started shouting, give me back my psalm book. The photographers were aghast and pointed their cameras to the sky. After a brief consultation, the boss gave me the psalm book. I got up and quickly mounted the ramp. End quote. This is the psalm book that was restored by Israel's National Library. As the article tells us, quote, In a dark world of suffering and injustice, one small black book gave light to the imprisoned Sharansky. It was a reminder of his Jewish heritage. It was a reminder of his wife, Avital, who gave him the book before his arrest. It was what provided him with the strength to survive 
those most terrible times, end quote. All of David's psalms, bound together, joined together, preserved together, tell us who he was, and they teach us thereby to feel God's presence in both tribulation and triumph, in freedom and in confinement. It was the legacy of David that showed Sharansky the way. And now, Sharansky shows us how David can inspire us still. This is Mayor Soloveitchuk. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.